All right. Well, have you ever noticed uh, that the value of a good song, it doesn't really depend on the meaning of the words, at least not necessarily. You know, if you want to be spiritually enriched by a song, you're probably going to have to know the meaning of the words and what it is that you're actually singing. But outside of that, you know, how many times have you found yourself just jamming along to a song, loving it, being just filled up with joy and happiness in it, only to realize you have no idea what you're singing about? Like, this was my whole childhood. I grew up in the era of Britney Spears and NSYNC, and I'll be honest, I have no idea what they were singing about. But I was jamming to it, okay? Loved it. Made me happy. You know, Christmas music, it can be similar. Christmas music, it's big in our house. And the last few weeks, we've really been crushing a lot of Christmas music at our house. And so all of my kids, they're singing it. They're they're loving it. They're having a great time. But my little five-year-old daughter, Reed, she was cruising around the house the other day. And uh, here's what she was singing. It's her new favorite Christmas song. She was singing, At least Navidad. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's a new one. She has no idea what the words are. And, like, even if she was singing the right words, do you think that she knows what Feliz Navidad means? No. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't even matter, okay? You get a catchy melody, maybe some vocal harmonies, a nice beat, and I'm in. Like, the value of a good song, it is not necessarily dependent on our understanding of its meaning. But when it comes to what we have in Christ... Okay, the things that we have in Christ, what we have in Jesus, it doesn't work like that. The value of what we have in Christ, it is deeply attached to the meaning. Our ability to even enjoy what it is that we have in Jesus, it's deeply attached to understanding the meaning of it. The value of what we have in Jesus, it's not detached from the meaning. There is no catchy melody in the Christian life. Okay, reading your Bible... Think about this. Reading your Bible. If you have no idea what it means that you're reading, it's not just intrinsically enjoyable or life-giving. This is why a lot of people don't read their Bible. It's because they don't understand the meaning of what it is that they're reading. And apart from the meaning of it, there's not intrinsic value. Same with prayer. If If you don't really deeply understand what you have In prayer, detached from the meaning of prayer, prayer in and of itself isn't just intrinsically enjoyable and life-giving. This is why many people do not pray. They don't understand prayer or what they have in prayer. When it comes to what we have in Christ, it, it, it will not be valuable to us simply because we have it. You know, detached from the meaning The value of what we have in Christ, at least in this life, it depends not only in the meaning of what we have in Christ, but our ability to grasp and understand that meaning and apply it to our hearts. We have to understand what we have in Jesus if it's going to impact and move our lives. Okay, so as we answer the question, we, we... Got into it last week. We'll be answering it again this morning. Why did Jesus come? What we're doing is this. As we answer that question, why did Jesus come? What we're doing is this. We are seeking to understand the meaning of the things that Jesus has actually died to give us. Has come, lived, and died to give us. Okay? 
The goal of answering the question, why did Jesus come? It is to understand what we actually have through the coming of Christ. Now last week we saw in Galatians 4 that Jesus, he has come to grant us adoption as sons and to give us the Holy Spirit in our hearts so we can have real intimacy with God, our Heavenly Father. Okay, these are the first two reasons that we see in Galatians 4 as to why it is Jesus took on flesh, stepped into his own creation, and came into the world. And today we're going to continue to answer the question, why did Jesus come, by looking at two more reasons in Galatians chapter 4 for the coming of Christ. And the first reason number three is this. Jesus came to give us a great inheritance. Jesus came into the world in order to give you and me a great inheritance, an incredible inheritance. Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 7, he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Through Christ, when Christ came into the world, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, he granted us adoption into the family of God as sons. And as sons, Paul is telling us, he has made us heirs. Now, heirs are people who receive an inheritance. Okay? That's what Paul is telling us. Christ has come into the world to make us people who receive a great inheritance through Jesus. So what is the inheritance that Jesus died to give us? Four things that you should understand about the inheritance that Jesus died to give us. Four things here. Number one, the inheritance that Jesus died to give us, it is more about relationship than riches. The inheritance Jesus died to give us, he's made us heirs, those who receive an inheritance, but it is more about relationship than riches. It's more about position rather than possessions. Now, normally when we think about inheritance, we think about possessions, right? Like we think about uh, grandma's wedding band or mom's jewelry or a family farm or some chunk of money. And what's going on with an inheritance is somebody has something, some sort of possessions that they can't take with them to the grave. So they leave it behind for those who are still alive to be able to continue to enjoy them. But that's not what Jesus was rich in. Jesus was not rich in possessions. He's actually very poor in possessions. Think about this. He died with basically the shirt on his back, and even that they took. The most influential person in the entire history of the world lived in extreme poverty. But what Jesus was rich in was relationship with God. And the inheritance that he died to give us, it is much more about relationship and position than it is about possessions. It's about bringing us into the kingdom of God and into the royal family of God with Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, 
If you look at Colossians 1, it is about the inheritance of the saints. And this is how that inheritance is explained very concisely in Colossians 1 verse 13. Paul says, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He, he, he just got done talking about we have this rich inheritance with the saints Here's how we understand it. He's rescued us out of a domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves, into the royal family of God with Christ. Our inheritance in Jesus is that we get to be part of the royal family of God. We get to be kingdom people, eternally having all the benefits of being in the royal family of God alongside Jesus. So it's not like Jesus you know, dies and disappears, but then all the stuff he couldn't take with him, he just leaves it behind for us. That's not like it. It's more like he dies and then he brings us with him into the royal family of God in heaven forever. Our inheritance, it's about relationship. It's about position, not possessions, not riches. Second is this. The inheritance that Jesus died to give us, it is received in full in heaven. We don't receive the inheritance in full until heaven, the life to come. That, that is when we will taste the fullness of being in the royal family of God. Okay? In other words, this is where Christians become truly wealthy. It's in the life to come. Not in this life. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's given us this brand new lease on life, a brand new birth, and he's given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. But where is it? It's kept in heaven for you. There, there's this incredible, wonderful inheritance that Jesus has died to give us. And yet that inheritance, it is received in full in heaven. And it's much more about bringing us into the royal family of God. It's about position, not possessions. Okay? The fullness of our inheritance is something that we don't actually receive until we arrive in heaven. And this is so important because that means this. If you are a believer in Christ, you should not expect that all the riches of life in Christ are going to be fulfilled here, now, in this life. We should not expect that as believers in Christ, we, we are just going to all be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We should not expect, like, if we are doing the right thing, then we will certainly be healthy, wealthy, and wise in this life. That's not our great reward. That's not the great inheritance that Jesus died to give us. The inheritance that Christ got, died to give us, it is received in full in the life to come. Our hope needs to be rooted and anchored in the life to come. Our inheritance the inheritance that we look forward to, that we are living for, it is in the life to come. 
But that doesn't mean that this life is without riches in Christ altogether. Instead, point number three is this. The inheritance that Jesus died to give us, it's already partially given through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is incredibly important for us to grasp, okay? The Holy Spirit, it is a partial payment of the rich inheritance we will receive in full in heaven for all eternity. The Holy Spirit, it is a partial payment of the enormous heavenly riches that we will inherit in the life to come. Now, again, this tells us that the inheritance of Christ, it is much more about relationship than riches. Okay, because what is the Spirit given for? Why, why do we have the Spirit? What did Paul say in Galatians 4 here? It's the Spirit that grants us that intimacy with God, that, that Spirit that cries out, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that enables us to have deep, meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And what he's telling us through that is that the, the, the riches that we have in Christ, it's about relationship. And in this life, we receive the Spirit as a partial payment, as a down payment for the wonderful, rich, eternal inheritance that we will have in the life to come. The Spirit, He is the down payment who secures our eternal inheritance and is a deep part of the wonderful inheritance we will fully receive in heaven. That's what a down payment is. Okay, A down payment, it's a partial payment. Ephesians 1.14 says this, The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. Now what that means is this. What kind of riches can we expect in the Christian life? What does it even mean to be wealthy? Is it to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? What makes us rich in this life? It isn't health. It isn't wealth. It isn't a really nice house or really nice vehicles or a great job or wonderful kids. What it means to be rich in this life is to be full of Christ through the Spirit. Here's what I want you to understand. The measure of wealth is not your bank account or the experiences that you can afford to have or the homes that you can buy, the measure of wealth in real life, in God's economy, which is the real economy, it is the fullness of the Spirit in your life. There's no wealthier person on the planet than the person who is full of the Spirit of God. Do you realize that? Okay, take some, I want you to just imagine some poor, barely making ends meet guy in Nowersville, Iowa. And Elon Musk, the richest man in America, which I found out this week, apparently he's counts as American. Richest man in America. 
far as I can tell, spiritually bankrupt. Now imagine for a second that you have the option. You can just swap places with one of them. Poor guy, barely making ends meet, Norrisville, Iowa. Poor gal, barely making ends meet, Norrisville, Iowa. Bad job. Run down home. Rusty vehicle. Full of the Spirit. Or you get to be the richest man in America. Billions and billions of dollars. All yours. Who would you trade places with? If you actually could. Offers on the table. Depends who you think is rich. Paul says what it means to be rich in this life is to be full of the Spirit. He says in Ephesians 5, Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to a reckless, reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And then he explains how to be filled by the Spirit. He says in verse 19, By speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Paul says this is how you are actually made wealthy in this life. And you know the crazy thing about what Paul just said? He's dead serious about it. He means it. What makes you rich in this life, it's to be full of the Spirit. And, and the way that we are made full of the Spirit, the way that we are filled up in Christ, he says it's this simple, okay? Here's how you can be rich in this life. This is, this is my e- economical advice for this morning. If you want to be wealthy in this life, fill yourself up in the Word of God. Okay, fill yourself up in prayer in the Lord. And then pour it out to one another. Pour it out in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs. Sing and make music with your heart to the Lord. Paul says, speak the word to one another. You've you got to be filled with the word, first of all, in order to do that. But be filled in the word and then speak it to one another. Let it pour out of you. Sing the word to one another. And when you do that, it's like putting money in each other's bank accounts. Making one another actually wealthy in this life. That's how we become rich in this life. And there's no other way. See, people have tried a thousand different ways to become rich in this life. But this is the way that we are actually made rich. It is through being full in the Spirit. But if you want to be full in the Spirit, you've got to understand the fourth thing about our inheritance, which is this. The inheritance that Jesus died to give us, it can only be received through faith in Christ. It isn't something that we've earned. The the Spirit of God within us, the inheritance, the, the wonderful, rich inheritance in Christ, it is not something that we have earned It is not something that we deserve. It's something that we receive as a gift through faith in Christ. 
You don't earn the Spirit. You, you don't. You don't earn our inheritance in Christ. I mean, this is the very nature of an inheritance. It's something that you receive, that somebody else did work for, somebody else did earn, but not you. That's why it's an inheritance. You simply receive it. And we receive our inheritance in Christ. We receive it by faith in Jesus. And Jesus, he is the one who has earned it. He earned it by his perfect life, his perfectly obedient life, and his sacrificial death on the cross. He earned our inheritance. He earned the position, the relationship that he gives to us as a gift of his own grace. He earned it so he can give it as an inheritance. We did not earn it. We cannot earn it. Our lives could not possibly stack up in a way that would amount to us earning the favor of God, the riches of God, the royal family of God. There, there is no way that our lives could possibly earn being in the royal family of God. But we do receive it as an inheritance through faith in Christ. Jesus, he came to give us a great inheritance in Christ. And the third reason that we see in Galatians chapter 4 for the coming of Christ, it is to give us that wonderful rich inheritance, but it's an inheritance that we receive as a gift through faith in Jesus. But reason number four, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus take on flesh, come into the world that he had created? Reason number four, Jesus came to set us free from slavery. He came to give us an incredible inheritance. He came to grant us into the family as sons, to give us a rich inheritance, to give us the spirit. But also he came to set us free from slavery. Galatians chapter four, verse seven. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. You are no longer a slave. If you are in Christ, you're no longer a slave, but now you are a son. Meaning, Christ has come to set us free. Free from slavery. Now we should be asking the question, what's slavery? What are we, what are we even talking about here? Aren't we already in like the most free nation in the world? What slavery are we talking about? And there's two things that Paul's talking about when he talks about being free from slavery. First, he's talking about being free from the law. Okay? Meaning that rather than being enslaved under the guardianship of the law, which we talked about last week, if you didn't catch last week's message, you can always hop online and, and go back and listen to it. But we're set free from that guardianship of the law. And now we get to live in freedom. Like we're set free from under this guardianship that we were all stuck under, under the law. And now instead we get to live in absolute and complete freedom as Christians. We are not enslaved under the guardianship of the law. Now that doesn't mean that Christians can just do whatever they want. Okay. Whether Christians have no rules to follow, we actually do. Jesus has commands and he demands that we follow his commands. All of them actually. But it means this, we are not slaves trying to win God's approval through obedience to the law. 
And we are not constantly enslaved underneath the weight of the law. Instead, we are actually God's children. And we have been set free from the law in order that we can go above and beyond what the law could possibly demand from us. Go above and beyond that to to genuinely love God and love others. The, The law, when we're stuck under the guardianship of the law, our hearts are not set free to genuinely love God and love others. But when we step into freedom from the law, our hearts, they're set free to go above and beyond in genuinely loving God and loving others. Paul says this in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ set us free. So a huge purpose of Christ coming into the world is to set us free from that guardianship under the law. But Galatians 5.13 says this, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, We have freedom from the law, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said something very similar. The law, it's it's fulfilled in genuinely loving God and loving others. We are set free from the tedious guardianship of the law in order to, to go above and beyond in loving God and loving others. Not constantly fretting about our status before God or how our lives measure up according to the law. We are cut loose to love and to serve the Lord and to love and to serve others genuinely from the heart. The second Paul is talking about this, being free from the flesh. So we are set free from being trapped under the law Just constantly fretting under the weight of of seeing how our lives stack up against the law. We're cut free from that to love and serve others. And we are cut free from, set free from slavery to our own sinful flesh. Our own sinful desires that just trap us in addictions. That trap us in selfishness. We're set free from that. Now, at one point, we were enslaved to our flesh. We were actually hopeless. We were just kind of hopelessly running around in our own selfish, sinful desires. That, that's what life is apart from Christ. It, it's being trapped by our own sinful desires. You know, I had the perfect illustration of that this week as we were, I think we were driving in our van heading over to the church building for some reason this week with all of our kids in the van. And I just want to tell you, first of all, I absolutely love my kids. And they are a ton of fun, wonderful kids. They're good kids. But they're also very young. And they are not yet spiritually mature. And so the flesh is strong in them, just like it can be with all of us. Okay, but we were driving over to the church in our van All five of our kids, so we've got five kids, all five of them are in the back seat of the van together. And this past week, it was the birthday of our son who we lost to a miscarriage eight years ago now. And so we always celebrate his birthday. We have a little celebration together. We get the kids a family present. And so this year, the family present was a bop it. We got a bop it. I know, big deal. 
And so we celebrated uh, Ezekiel's birthday. Got him a, uh, we got the kids a, a, a bop it. They open it up. They see it. They're excited. They're like so jazzed to play this thing. And then we're like, hey, we got to go to church. So let's hop in the van. Okay. So we throw all the kids in the van up. You see very quickly, this is partially our fault. <laughs> we throw all the kids in the van. And then we hand them one bop it to share amongst those five children. <laughs> And they're all like pumped out of their mind to play it. And it was like they just could not help themselves fighting over the bop it. Like, I, I mean, like they might have wanted to share, but like they just, they were enslaved to just that insatiable thirst on the inside. I want to play this thing. And nobody could be the bigger person and just be like, oh, no, it's okay. Like, you get a turn. We'll get a turn. You get a turn. Everybody gets a turn. It was like, no, that, that is not how their hearts were working. Everybody was just thinking, I want to play that thing. And the problem is, those selfish desires, they were ramming head on into each other. And the whole time, I kept thinking this as I'm driving, trying to pay attention to the road and like slightly observe what's happening in the back here. This is what was going through my mind. This is exactly what my heart is like apart from Jesus. Like this is exactly what my life was prior to coming to Christ at 20 years old. This is exactly what was going on in my heart all the time, apart from Jesus. This is the whole world apart from Jesus. You cannot escape the selfishness and just the sickness and the sin in our hearts. We can exercise some self-control. We can, we can exercise... Human beings are capable of exercising a great deal of willpower, but that is not freedom from sin. That's just somebody who's managing it well, who's, who's trying to contain it well. But in Christ, we actually have freedom from the flesh. No longer slaves, but sons. Now, just because we have freedom in the flesh, it does not mean that we will necessarily experience freedom from our flesh, or from our sin, or from our selfishness. In fact, my guess is we are probably all fighting against some battle of our own flesh. But how is it that we experience real freedom from the flesh in Christ? Well, here's what Paul says just a little while later in Galatians chapter 5. We've been studying Galatians 4 and Galatians 5. This is what Paul says. He explains to us how we can experience that freedom from our flesh. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Just pause there. The way that we experience freedom from our flesh, do you hear what he said? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. That's how you're going to experience freedom from the flesh. Again, freedom from the flesh, it's not just like I have enough, I've mustered up enough willpower to try to contain my sin and selfishness. Real freedom from the flesh. 
Like we're actually cut loose and freed up to joyfully love others, to joyfully love God, to joyfully walk in obedience to Christ. Real freedom from the flesh, it's found in walking in the Spirit. The the same Spirit that Jesus gives as a partial down payment of the incredible eternal inheritance. The same Spirit that gives us, that grants us intimacy with God, that cries out, Abba, Father, that same spirit, that spirit of intimacy with God is how we actually experience freedom from our flesh. He says in verse 17, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, You are not under the law. The way that we experience freedom, the way that we actually experience that freedom from the law and from our flesh, it is through the Spirit, by actually walking in the Spirit. The way that we taste freedom It's through life in the Spirit. Just to close this morning, I want to give you one point of application, which is this. Be filled in the Spirit. Be filled in the Spirit. If you are going to experience the wonderful richness of life in Christ, if you're going to experience freedom from the law, freedom from slavery to our flesh, If you want to have real intimacy with God, if you want to be rich in your relationship with God, then you have to be filled in the Spirit. There's no other way to be wealthy in this life. Millions of people have tried thousands of different ways. There's no other way. You must be filled in the Spirit. And Paul tells us two keys to being filled in the Spirit. Number one, starve your flesh. If you want to be full in the spirit, you have to starve your flesh. You, you cannot fill up your life with the flesh and expect to be full in the spirit. They're opposed to each other. They're, they're incompatible. You cannot walk in the spirit if you're going to feed your flesh. It's, in other words, if you're going to feed your selfish desires, they will grow. Not the spirit. You must starve the flesh. And here's what the flesh is. Galatians 5, 19. Paul says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Okay, so things like pornography or just sexualized images on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or whatever. It's a work of the flesh. Every time that we let our eyes feast on images of human beings that are not our spouse, we are making a decision to feed our flesh. You will not be full of the Spirit when you are filling your flesh. Moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, Idolatry. What is idolatry? It's anything in your life that takes priority over 
the Lord Jesus. Every time that you allow yourself to feast on the things that you know are a problem, and take priority over your relationship with the Lord Jesus, it's feeding the flesh. Sorcery, hatred, strife. Every time that we choose relational conflict, every time that we choose bitterness or just not resolving to love others, it's feeding our flesh. You will not be full of the Spirit. Jealousy, outbursts of anger. Every time that we just feast on our anger. We're reading an anger devotional with our kids at the dinner table lately. And we, we just got started. We're on like day three. But it's been really helpful, really good stuff so far. One of the things he said is, do you think that anger is the justified response when people are stupid? And I thought, I think I do. Every time that we allow our hearts to just feast on that anger, it's feeding the flesh. You will not be full of the Spirit. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things. As I warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who are engrossed in the flesh live a life enslaved to the flesh. He's warning them, do not presume that you have the rich inheritance as kingdom people. The things of the flesh we need to starve out of our lives. We, we cannot feed our sinful desires and expect to be rich in the spirit. We need to starve the flesh. Get rid of the things that are the works of the flesh. But second, Paul says this. You can't just do that and expect to be full of the spirit. You, you, you must starve the flesh, but then you need to be filled in the spirit. You have to actually have a forward lean, a forward lean towards God to be filled in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. We, we cannot just say no to the flesh. We have to, at the same time, say yes to the Spirit. It's not enough to just not do bad things. Saying no to bad things alone is not going to produce Real intimacy with God. It's not going to produce real richness in the spirit. You don't just say no to the flesh. You must also walk in the spirit. Say yes to the spirit. Be filled in the spirit. The only thing that will produce real freedom, real intimacy in our lives is to be filled with the spirit. It's not just to have a void in the flesh. And you remember how Paul says we can be filled in the Spirit? Galatians, or Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine. That leads to reckless living. Be 
filled by the Spirit. He's tying these illustrations together to help us understand something about the filling of the Spirit. See, to be drunk, it's an intentional decision to put something in us that's going to then eventually affect and change us. It's the same with the Spirit. We we must be filled with the Word of God, with the truth of God, with the Spirit of God. And then it's going to come, it's going to move us, it's going to shape us, it's going to pour out of us by speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. We, we fill our hearts and our lips and our minds with the Word of God only to pour it all out with one another. We fill ourselves up in the Lord, in His Word, in prayer. And we pour it all out to one another. Speaking the word, singing the word, making music in our hearts to the Lord. And as we do that, God fills us full of his spirit. If we want to be rich in this life, we must be full of the spirit. If we want to experience the freedom that Christ has come to give us, we must be full of Of the Spirit. Do not be satisfied with empty Christianity, but be full of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that Christ has come in the world to grant us adoption as sons, to give us the Spirit of intimacy with you, God. Thank you that Jesus has given us a great inheritance, Lord promised us an incredible heavenly inheritance and Lord we thank you that you have set us free. Thank you that we are no longer slaves to our own sin, to the flesh, to the law. But you have set us free that we might truly genuinely love you and love others from the heart God through the spirit. I pray Lord that we would be church people God who are full of the spirit. Help us not walk in laziness or in the flesh. But by your grace, help us to be starving the flesh and filling our hearts with your word, with your spirit. God, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.